0: This is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I am here with Kevin Jardine the guitars for slaves on dope amongst other things but we'll chat about that here in a little bit. How you doing, man? I'm doing very good. How are you? Uh great. I know that we played uh, a messenger tag for a while to try to set this up. Uh life always seems to uh kick adults in the uh the ass whenever we try to schedule stuff. So it's nice that we can finally actually get this done. It's been um 5 years coming up on 5 years.
1: Yes, it has. It's been it's been definitely a, a longer than I would have liked.
0: I agree and i mean the last time we last time we all met it was it was uh you and jason and myself and we met in new york city um and uh I had a couple of beverages in a very nice posh hotel lounge and chatted about just about everything that last time that we all met and being in New York how's things been over in Canada I mean obviously Canada got shut down too cuz of covid just like we did here how have you been surviving life during all this very strange weird times that we're living
1: it's it's uh it's definitely interesting um we were um my wife and i my wife and i had a baby so she's a year old a year and mostly well, a year in like three weeks now but um nice. what happened was we had just done the baby shower so liz liz has had i don't know like god knows how many girls over and of <laughs> course of course i show up at the end you know to just take all the glory and I without without the word of a lie 24 hours later dude I felt like I got hit by a bus and and that and that was the exact day that they started locking down in Quebec where I live which is Montreal which is like we're like six hours north of New York City like five from Boston right so I was like at first I'm like there's no way there's no way like I have COVID like this is like it's barely come over from 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 you know from china to europe and it's probably not that but man did i get my ass kicked so i never got tested or anything but i'm now i'm pretty confident i can say that i was i i had it because i had all the telltale sort of symptoms like lying on the couch can't move for 48 hours and right. i don't really remember the taste or anything like that being gone but man i got hit by a freight train and so did a, so did about three or four other people at the party so there's about 30 people in you know in a in a Three bedroom apartment in a big right. living area. So I'm pretty sure everybody got uh, the, everybody that was there that, that had symptoms had the same thing. So that was sort of the beginning of it for me. And then sort of the, then sort of the freakiness happens when, you know, everybody's in masks at the grocery store and social distancing and washing your hands. And it sort of felt like, uh, what the hell was that movie? Um, what was that movie uh, where they're all has math suits all the time? I can't Contagious. remember what it was. I think, yeah. And it felt like that, dude. And it was weird because it's like, am I in a movie? And I wouldn't let my <laughs> wife go anywhere. Right. Cause she was pregnant. So she was, she was only giving birth in May. Right. So I wouldn't let her do anything. She wasn't allowed to leave the house. She wasn't allowed because nobody knew what this thing was. Right. So for the first few months, it was really like, really weird, man. Like, you know, obviously toilet paper was out everywhere and, right. you know, bread wasn't on shelf. So you learn how to make bread yourself. But, you know, you go through this same thing. Everybody sort of did, right. Stock up the liquor store, like all that kind of stuff. And then after a while you sort of get comfortable, you get sort of used to it after, you know, two months in, you sort of get used to it. And then next thing we know, we have a kid. So it's not like you're leaving the house anyways with a newborn. So it was sort of business as usual. And she kept us really busy. And I guess by the summer by the summer, things started slowing down here. The end of the first wave, like by June, everybody was sort of, you know, people were sort of, you know, getting together distance. We weren't allowed to, but we were so everybody was sort of skirting the laws here and sort of just like, let's get together. You know, you want to see families. We weren't really hugging or anything, but we were still getting together. And then next thing you know, I'm back on the ice playing hockey twice a week. <laughs> you know, so it was sort of cool. Like uh, it looked like we were getting through this. And then, you know, the little the little school thing, September's ever being whispered about that. We're going to have this second wave with all these kids back in. And I was like, well, there's no way they're going to let kids go back to school. If they can anticipate a second wave, why would you do that? Like, you're just going to fuel a bigger fire, but nope. Kids went back and numbers went through the roof and back to lockdown. But this was a hard lockdown for us. Like, it was, it was, wor- I don't say it was
0: worse than the first one, but it sure felt worse than the first one. Yeah. Canada seemed like they really clamped down hard uh, here in the States. We were a little more resistant, I think a little longer, but uh, yeah, Canada, like they said, nip, nope, done. Canada.
1: Yeah. The second wave, man, they, they shut us down as of like 31st of May, they lifted our curfew 9.30 PM curfew till 5.00 AM. You weren't allowed outside your house Wow. for, and we had that for. About three months because it was so bad that, you know, in where we are, they and we're, we're a very nightlife sort of party outside oriented sort of city Montreal. Yeah, um, they wanted to lock it down. They didn't want they didn't want to worry about anybody getting together or doing anything. So that was us for about a year. And now, obviously, it's starting to open up and they've had people at the hockey games and they're they open restaurants on Monday. You were allowed to dine in restaurants as of Monday. Uh, you had to wear a mask walking in, but you could not wear it when you sat down. Like you could take it off when you All ate right. type thing. Bars, they're not going to be opened at night yet. They're going to wait till the restaurants are open, harasses are open, and then eventually they'll let bars open in concerts. But they have like priest is booked for November at the at the at the AHL rink here. Right. And uh they've booked some other shows. So they'll start happening but i think the smaller venues and stuff they'll probably come back i figure like maybe maybe august late july early august they'll start to allow but it's been weird dude it was it's been a long even though it went by really fast like it feels like yesterday right but it it it, it, it was a long year man it was a weird sort of thing I i know everybody deals with it in their own ways i i know you had you had feelings about it I, I know we chatted about stuff like that and every, I, all my friends everybody's dealt with it in their own way i think there's a lot of common things we dealt with but it, there's a lot of things that everybody sort of dealt
0: with on their own you know well that being said i mean obviously you having a new baby and you know the world shuts down to a global pandemic and kevin is literally trying to increase the population so that's <laughs> what like-
1: i exactly that's <laughs> all i did dude that's <laughs> Man. <laughs> it's like and you know what was i, was like, just, I was, was like
0: don't worry about the don't worry about the pandemic i'm just gonna keep perpetuating the increase in population and that's gonna be my goal so when you know when it, this turns into mad max i'm just gonna that's right. produce you know produce children
1: somebody needs all my stuff when i die <laughs> i have to leave it to somebody i can't I, what, what am I supposed to give my crap to, you know, <laughs> well, I got all this old, I got slaves memorabilia from like 93 in a Tupperware somewhere <laughs> that somebody needs to get my show flyers, bro. Come on. <laughs> you know,
0: Cause when you think about all this stuff happening, I looked at it this way, thinking about how creative people. Um, obviously, you know you being a guitarist and being a musician and a you know a songwriter and being a producer and being involved in all this stuff that you have over all these years, primarily associated with the music world, but obviously in other aspects of art too. Did you find because some artists? Literally just curled up in a ball and said, "I can't deal with this. Like I I don't have an outlet anymore. It's driving me crazy." Some kind of bridged the gap a little bit with a lot of social media stuff. They were trying to do a lot of virtual shows, just trying to not get super rusty. And then other people said, "Yep, hey, thank God I finally have a free moment where I can write all those songs. I can you know record all those things that I wanted to put down on a demo." Uh, what did you find that it was for you? And and like, like we said earlier, you know, obviously you had a baby, so you had a lot of other family stuff that was going on that was keeping you preoccupied, but creatively, did you find that this was a more productive time or was this saying, uh, you know, finally I'm taking a break?
1: I think at first, like, at first it was sort of like, oh, okay, well, like, i'll get a break like i can't have my studios in my house i have a house in the city and and i took over the basically the whole basement and built a recording studio i couldn't have clients at the house so i was like well what the heck am i gonna do like a, a how long is this gonna last and then you know because in, in 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 march when this all started i didn't have a kid so at first i was like okay well, I have time off so no, nobody really knows this um but i'll, I'll let you know because um because we're talking about stuff when slaves broke up in 04 05 we myself frank and rob got another singer now we didn't get another singer for slaves we got another singer changed the name of the band did a whole bunch of demos did a bunch of showcases and shopped it and it was like one of those like self-recorded things this is sort of free this is like pre-computers really with recording so it was like a A portable digital Roland thing so we did like 14 songs and um, it was a short-lived thing we did it for about a year and a bit they went on to do their thing and and then I started my studio and then shortly thereafter Slaves Got Back Together but I basically took all those demos and it was a long process because you know you're you're they were recorded basically live in our jam room in Montreal and You know they didn't sound very good because you know limited stuff and you know wasn't a great room. So what I basically did was brought them into my DAW and for like a month I just went through everything and made it basically awesome. And it was a lot of work, but it was something that it was in my legacy that I had never touched. And I sort of felt like you know this is a good time. I I knew I was going to have a little bit of time, so this is a good time to get involved in that. It was sort of static because I'm sort of just working with stuff. I'm not really being creative, creative mixing wise and you know, on a producer end, but not really creative. And then, so I put that to bed. I haven't released it yet. The people that were in the band have heard it. Like Frank, Rob, I reached out to. um, And the singer, who's a guy named Andrew, um, who was in a bunch of bands in Montreal and still sort of uh, active here in Montreal. Um, And then another thing I did, because I was sort of bored, was I called. I don't know if you know this, but people do know this. I had a, had a band also when slaves broke up after that, called The Monarchy. And we did two records. We did a record in English, and we shopped it around. We did some showcases in New York and stuff. And um, we had a little more success here in Montreal and in Quebec, in Canada. So we did did our second record. We actually did it in French. The singer is actually perfectly bilingual. So we did the second record in French, and that was sort of when um slaves started getting back together and we just sort of wrapped that up and we sort of rode off into the sunset so fast forward to the bass player lived in la for about 10 years decided to move back to montreal and we sort of all started talking this is about april-ish and um we just started writing songs back and forth um because i was sitting in my basement with my studio with nothing to do they were sort of nobody was working the singer works in tv the bass player works in like pro audio and the the drummer i'm not sure he's more in like transport and stuff so we wrote an ep over like the course of a month and got a manager got a radio tracker and as things open up we did some we did a couple of videos and it's doing really well in quebec charted we've 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 been top 50 uh with our second single the first one uh was just sort of like a soft release sort of get people into the second single charted here so it's doing well and that kept me busy for a while which was really nice because it's totally different than what Slaves does. It's sort of like more rock and roll-y, Foo Fighters, Queens of the Stone age David Bowie, the cult-type stuff. Like, it's sort of rock stuff, you know? And then Jason and I, being the c- avid cigar smokers we had because we had so much <laughs> free time, and he lives like literally like two blocks from my house, we were smoking like crazy once the summer hit and sort of things were lifted. And we came up with this crazy idea to do We Care a lot to show that we actually cared you know we decided to reach out to pretty much everybody we knew being frank bellow and ray from corn and dmc and you know richard from filter and and walter from quicksand and you know all the guys that were on it we 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 sort of knew or knew somebody that knew them um or had met or maybe played on a festival with so like we'd played with corn before we played with filter before so we sort of like And DMC was on, he's been on a couple of tunes. We wrote, I've written some tunes for him and he's been on Slaves Tune. So we put it together and it was sort of fun, like, and it was like, so no pressure. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things that we we just thought would be really cool to help. You know, Roadie Relief was trying to figure out ways to help roadies who are the biggest hurt sort of, musicians in general and stuff and roadies and we said look let's see what we can do if we can raise money for anything you know put these names behind it see what it does you know it was sort of like you know you know you sort of get those like i said we're smoking a cigar we came with this idea and this like really quick five minute idea turned and snowballed into this big thing that we're at we're at three tunes we're about to do our fourth we're almost wrapping up our fourth but it's like you're sort of just i don't know it's weird because you don't think it's ever going to happen like it was sort of right. a pipe dream at first because everybody's schedule you don't know what everybody's doing trying to get everybody even to record themselves for 20 minutes on a weekend or an hour however long and again it was like you know trying to get all these guys in the same place but everybody was everybody was super excited to do it and you know some guys had never recorded before like frank Bello had never recorded himself before but During the pandemic, he's like, "I got to get some gear. I got ideas," and (laughs) so so everybody's sort of like, you know, and Ray Ray's like, "I got a full rig at home. My drum kit's set up in my studio, and I'm ready to go. Just tell me what tune we're doing." And been dying, and of course Richard Patrick has a studio at his place, so he's like, "I'm ready to go." And it was just, it was really cool, and you know, uh, Bill's got a place at a studio he built that um, actually I think Mastodon did their new record there. So it was really one of those things where it's like everybody's just super excited to do something, and then. You know, as we've gone through them, we're on number four now. We're just uh, sort of, we're not finishing it up. We're about halfway through number four now. Uh, We need a couple of singers to send me their stuff. But it's been really cool, man. Like having everybody look at, you know, the roadie relief and doing this for for them. And obviously for fans as well, because fans just being able to see such a, a wide cross section of talent that probably would never, you know, they might be on a festival together, but they definitely wouldn't you know they probably, they wouldn't necessarily tour together. You know, we wanted to do something that was a little bit different and get some younger people with some older musicians and some more current and some people maybe they hadn't heard of in a while and you know, we really want to you know cherry pick and some of our you know music musicians and and people that we look up to also you know we wanted in there as well. It, it was just one of those things that you sort of tried to you think you know whatever maybe what and then. Everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And it's, it's kind of nice that sort of instills your faith that, you know, there, there's, <laughs> there's awesome musicians out there that really care about, you know, music and giving back, like care about it. It's not just a way to, you know, uh, the very successful musicians we have on these projects. But I mean, right. it's not about that. It's about giving back and being musicians and music for music's sake. You know and that's what's awesome
0: you know and i think maybe probably prior to the pandemic and, and i'll say this just as my own opinion i think prior to the pandemic and prior to the lack of exposure to live music or bands being able to get out there or artists being able to get out there and interact with people i think a lot of people were starting to get jaded at the industry you've been in the industry long enough and especially with (laughs) slaves and obviously there are certain parts of the industry where you're just like this is the most god-awful thing that i ever possibly could have gotten involved with and i think some fans were just starting to think okay well you know what promoters are charging too much for the shows the band's tickets at smaller venues are too much the meet and greets so on and so forth but now people are saying you know what there was a lot of work involved in that not just people standing up on stage but like you guys doing this stuff for roadie relief how many times do you think that people don't really fully kind of grasp what the the behind-the-scenes people go through. Uh, Lighting, sound, you know, just somebody who's at your table selling merch. I've had the distinct pleasure of riding on a few tour buses for a few days, and uh, it's not exactly like you're staying at the Um, (laughs) Ritz-Carlton. You you might think, oh, yeah, that sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you know, life on the road thing sounds super cool until you're literally the guy sleeping in the non-driver's captain chair in the front and that's where you've been sleeping for two days sitting up and or leaning up against the glass as you pull up to the truck stop i mean that's not an easy life for a lot of people regardless of whether you're playing on the stage or writing the music or performing it or what have you but yeah i think and for the amount of people that were involved and the status of some of these people that were involved I think that was really something good for the fans to see to say, okay, you know what? These people aren't just taking my music and I shouldn't just sit there and be on my cell phone the whole show. The you know, these people are human too and and they're they're working hard just like we are uh, even though we're not the musicians up there on the stage.
1: Yeah, you're like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's hard. It, a lot of people don't realize what, you know, being a music fan and you know, I think I think the lines have sort of been blurred because people almost look at like musicians as like their friends now. Like they look at them as like, like a I don't want to say a tangible thing, but they look at them as like almost like they owe them something or it's sort of weird. But we don't like musicians and artists. We don't we don't really do it for them per se. We do it because we want to say something. We want to do something and we want to. We want to express ourselves. The fact that somebody likes it is 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 a bonus to what we do. But we're not doing it and sitting writing music, saying, "Oh man, like I really hope, like uh, you know, the demographic of 19 to 22 year old females really like my new tune." It's like, man, like no, you write a tune that gives you goosebumps and makes you feel something. And when you know, you know, when I see the look on Jason's face when you know, I write a riff, and he like, oh, I really, I'm into that. And then he sees the look on my face when he sings a hook over, it or writes writes lyrics over, it or that's what we do it for. Everything else is just a bonus, right? So you're right in like it's it's weird, and we do this because we like doing it. And I think that's what every musician in the project that we put together shows is like these guys, they just want to play. Like when we when I I remember reaching out to the first couple of guys, and Jason Jason did most of it but I was reaching out to them because I mixed it all in my studio. So I'd get all the tracks and, you know, some were a mess and some were really well done depending on their, their talent level recording. But I was basically trying to make everything cohesive. It's like, everybody just wanted to do it. And everybody was so like, okay, Kev, you know, if it's not good enough, we'll redo it. And, and I hope it's okay. And, you know, can you help me with this? Because I'm It was just like, everybody was, it was, You know, a level playing field didn't matter if you won a Grammy or you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or you had like some obscure hit in, you know, in 93 (laughs) and we happen to be huge fans. It was like it had nothing to do with it was just like, man, we're all doing this together. Like even, you know, Ivan for Men Without Hats was in the middle of making a record. And when Jason wrote him, he's like, yeah, I'll take a day off from making my record to do that. I'll shoot the video. I'll do it. And that was the level of commitment, like through the record I'm making, like, let me put keys down on We Care A Lot. That was more important to him. And that just goes to show you that, like, musicians were just we do it for us. Everything else is a bonus. And when people think like, oh, well, they make a lot of money. and That's sort of like no musician. I shouldn't say no musician, but none of the musicians I know do it for the music. I know a hell of a lot of musicians and I've toured with and I've played with and nobody gives a fuck. The fact that they might have a big bank account is irrelevant to the fact that the art always comes first. Right. They they they're only rich because some because a lot of people like it. They're not rich because they sit there and try to fabricate something that people want to hear. This project sort of proved that. You know, it's it's art for art's sake. And you're right, touring's not fun. If every if anybody saw I could I could go into into details on stories and, and touring bills and, and Excel spreadsheets. Man, if people knew how much just your gas bill on your bus was for a right. tour and how many weeks of shows you had to play to pay your gas bill, your hotel bill, you're, you're not even getting into salaries of employees. You're not even getting into like insurance. You're not even like if they knew how much it costs to keep a show on the road a day. You know, if they, they would be like 50 bucks to take 600. No, that's, that's like, you're barely covering your bills at some of these ticket prices. Right. You know, they don't see inflation. They don't see that side. They just see, oh, well, the artist is greedy or the artist is that or whatever. Like the artist is doing it because they want to do it. You know, they like, well, I mean, the that, ticket prices are the way they are to cover the costs. That, that's, that's all it is.
0: Over the years, getting a chance to talk to a lot of musicians And it really is the same thing. It's it's exactly what you're talking about. It's for the love of the art, doing art for art's sake. And I think some people, they really just don't understand it. Maybe they do, but maybe they're just kind of caught up in the whole comp and circumstance of it, the the showmanship of it, the stuff that gets big lights and the explosions and the tour bus and the magazine spreads and stuff like that, like people kind of get caught up in the stardom of it. You said, you know, a lot of these people, regardless of of how accomplished or how big they have been in their career or where they are in their career, like, you know, 90% of the time you record an album and it's usually, hey, we're in lockdown. You can't even talk to us at this point. We just want to get this finished because time is money. Um, I mean, you run a recording studio, you know, yourself, so you understand that, but yeah, you know, I think it's amazing because some of the people forget about the little person. And I say that with the utmost respect about the people that are behind the scenes. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain, the wizard of Oz kind of thing. Uh, Or there's that one person that's, you know, helping with the production of what's on the stage and they're wearing all black jumpsuit. That you can't see them in the blackness of the background yeah i mean you know those people work their ass off and this did really crush them
1: yeah I have a bunch of friends who are small venue owners and and you know and and roadies and stuff like that uh you know one of my best friends is a uh, sells merch on the road he was out with pink he goes out with the 1979 he's a he's been touring for 15 years you know and i would see him i would see him basically between tour cycles we'd get together have a drink next thing i know he's gone right so He was hit really hard, you know, and the thing is, is that we all do it because we love to do it. You know, the roadies, too, like, you know, the venue owners, like if people think venue owners are in it, like club owners and stuff. I'm not going to get into like the live nations, but I mean, independent promoters and small town promoters, they're not in it because they want to make money. They're in it because they love bands. They want to help bands. They want to break bands. They want to develop talent, local talent bring it to a national level. They have their own reasons in the sense of, but that's usually a, br- that's a broad brush of pretty much what they want to do. They, they they're in it because they love that aspect. They're not, nobody's getting rich. You know, nobody got rich booking, you know, even Nirvana on their first tour tickets for Nirvana and whatever it was, 90, 89 or whatever here in Montreal was, was, I think it was a doll. It was doll. Oh, smash pumpkins was a dollar. Sorry. It's for fun here. And there was, there was 150 people here. I think the promoter was doing it to he was doing it because he knew they were going to be huge one day he wanted to be a promoter of 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 album he wanted to have the rights to them he saw something in them he liked the band he was a fan and he booked them the list is so long of people in the business that all got hurt that really just do it because they love it like we were musicians and people that work in the arts we're all blinded we don't do it for the money we do it for every other reason and you know, to a fault at a certain point, you know. And sadly some roadies and stuff and, and musicians are gonna hang up the hang up the towel and throw in the towel, I should say, and hang it up right. and not not do it anymore just because of the fact that, you know, this sort of this sort of showed that that there's, you know, there's no there's no um backup plan really in the sense of you know you might have had a backup plan for yourself but there's no insurance there's no there's no anything for you know there's no unemployment benefits for musicians it's just you know like you're done you're done like you know you break your finger and you miss gigs you don't make money like nobody has anything so just the fact that we did it is really nice and we're gonna like i said we're gonna pop one more out and maybe two more out but i i just feel good knowing and the fact that i have my own studio it was a big bonus like i could have paddled off to richard from filter but i wasn't going to do that i wanted to do it see he's got he's doing a movie right now and everything but you know like just being able to do that and give that part of me you know the the guy who did all the videos ryan he works in tv and he works in radio here in montreal and he um he does this on the side you know he donated all his time putting those videos together you know that's not like that's not a small thing to do you know and he's donated his time and you know, Jason spent hours on the phone and email getting all these musicians. That took a lot of effort and then coordinating. It, it was a huge effort. And you know what? We we just did it for the roadies and for the fans. like So fans could see
0: this. And I think knowing you for this amount of time, I think maybe I kind of figured that i knew you well enough but it's kind of interesting that this you know kings of quarantine project and why you did it and what it was supposed to benefit who you are and what you do at the studio and what you just described about the project or the benefits for the roadies sound a lot alike i love the thing in your your description of the studio about it being an analog meets modern day times kind of mentality and it's kind of like you're Going back to yesteryear where things were maybe a little less commercial, a little more kind of in your face and I guess what people think. And I hate to be that person saying, well, music was so much better then because there's some really awesome music out now too. And I don't want to take away from that, but I think the whole process was different. And I think because of the technology, yes, it's made it more convenient, but it's also made it a lot more cold, um, a lot more non-human um you're really kind of bridging those two things together that really try to make it the best you can for one the artist and everybody involved and two the people that are going to hear the end product of it aren't you
1: yeah well i i grew up making records on tapes you know that's where i cut my teeth was real recording studios you know million dollar studios and stuff so for me it was always that was my point of reference was how do you make a record i worked with great producers you know platinum producers through my career i was very fortunate to learn a lot and i apply that and yeah i find a lot of music um since sort of computers got involved in making music i find that a lot of the music is missing that element that makes it special because sort of the computer sort of gets in the way makes it really easy to fix everything make everything perfect and sort of like you know um, sort of artificially enhance, you know, a band beyond, you know, maybe what they can do, maybe what they should be doing, maybe what whatever. Yeah, I keep the same mentality when you used to record with tape, like one take. You know, drums. I I, I don't I don't track by parts, and I don't over quantize. I don't over edit stuff. I don't over auto tune stuff. Um, I try to get bands to play within their means, and I'm not here to like, you know, to be a trendy sort of producer with 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 like um you know chasing after like specific sound that's hot and make every band sound like that that's not what great producers do you know I always grew up listening to the producers that sort of did stuff um on their own terms even big producers like Bob Rock who I look up to you know he still he he might have made the black record but it was an accident not an accident that it was that good because the songs were that good but he made sure that everything was there. And I find a lot of the focus is, oh, it's gotta like be perfect and sound really good. And that's all that matters. You know, like if the if the drums are in time and the vocals are in pitch and the guitars are played well, it's gonna be a great record. Like they forget that the songs have to be good. They forget that like it has to be exciting. They forget that like, you know, experimenting with guitar tones and bass tones and drum tones and this and that and effects is fun. They just like one guitar amp, you know, for a whole record and that's cool. It's just, I don't know. I've never been like that. I've always, I've always enjoyed the stuff that sounded different more than the stuff that sounded like the same. And I just find like a lot of like, especially like the metal stuff. And I won't, I won't like shoot myself in the foot too much saying it, but I find every metal record sounds the same and, and they do. And, and people can say, well, uh, it's bullshit. They all sound the same. They're all over quantized the same freaking drum samples, same guitar amps, and it's the same processing, and it's it's just they're like metal records that excited me were were Slayer records and Sepultura records, and you know you know guys like Ross Robinson productions on when he did this you know he did the first Slipknot record like that's exciting like it's exciting music no click track let the band play like and then you get now and it's like. Man, it's like every single band sounds like everybody else. I miss the days. And that's what I try to do with bands that I produce is get each band to sound like themselves, you know, get them to like get them to get some identity because the songs is the most important thing. I don't care what guitar amp you use, what drum kit you use, all that shit. That's sort of irrelevant. If the song's really good, people are going to like the song. Pick the instruments that fit with the music, but it's not about it being a perfect record that is the important thing. That there's way too much emphasis on that, and I think that's why artists like Billie Eilish and artists like uh, you know like um, like Lady Gaga and other artists like that who are, are are good singers and sort of do things sort of different. And artists like Pink and stuff, I think, and Rihanna is another good example. Who they jump jump between genres and stuff. It's more important the song and delivering it the right way than anything else none of that matters what matters is that you're connecting a lyric and a vocal and a melody and music with it with an artist that's what matters everything else is crap and i find nowadays the the emphasis is it, it for the last while it's been on the wrong thing you know and and i i think you know you hear like greta van fleet and hear some of these some of these um you know even buck cherry who i like a lot you hear these bands that want to sort of like sound like a band they want to sound real they want to sound honest and i find those sort of artists and those tones and those ideas i find they translate better and i find they'll stand the test of time a lot more than just following a trend or just trying to do something that everybody else is doing because it's popular i don't i find that sort of like that's sort of soft that's sort of that's sort of like easy way out
0: you know you know i really appreciate that you're doing that and i think that's something that we need in the industry people are missing that humanistic connection that we're all looking for. So for you doing that, looking at all the stuff that you're, you know, doing off the studio and stuff like that, you you got a ton of stuff that's going on too. So even during a pandemic, you're still cranking stuff out. And I, you know, I just, uh, man, I give you props on it. I think it's amazing. Yeah.
1: You know, another one, it's funny that as I was sort of rambling, rattling off all the crap I did one, actually the coolest things I did which um, you might not have caught was when uh, Michael Stipe released a song. He released a song called um, "No Time for Love Like Now." I think it was called. Anyways, my wife—my wife's a singer, and she sings on like every, almost every record I do. She's doing background vocals on a song. All the artists that come in here love her, and she's great at harmonies and. Um, You can always tuck them in so they're sort of inconspicuous, but they add this nice little touch. So she had the idea. She really wanted to do this song. Michael Stipe had recorded really quick in his living room with the guy from the National. And uh, so me and her put put together a drum loop and an acoustic guitar, put a little bit of strings and piano in it, and we did it for fun. And we put it out and she's only released a, like a couple of songs in her, in her life. And, uh, and Michael loved it. He wrote her and he tweeted it and he put it on his Instagram and he was super, super humble. Like, I can't believe you covered this song that I just put out like two weeks ago. Right. That was one of the, actually that was one of the highlights because I did it with my wife. It was just the two of us, you know, and I, and I, we, like I said, we work, I work on other people's music with her, but we don't usually do stuff together. We sort of just do like projects with other people, but it was fun. And I, And and again, it's like, you know, you you just do it because you want to do it. You know, you you do it because you love it. And as much as everything else is around, and COVID's going on, and you know, I guess part of me, I don't know, part of me got lucky. Like I was I I was fairly creative, and I think having a studio sort of helped in the sense that it's always sort of staring at me the door to go downstairs. So every time I walk by it, I feel guilty if I don't work on something or write something or create something but it's fun you know like like even though it's winding down like as depressing as it was at times i think i think a big part of life too and and i think you'll agree with me is y- you have to f- like just because you have an emotion and you're you feel an emotion y- you need to feel those emotions to be alive as much as they might suck in the time and as much as it might be crappy to, to be depressed or be anxious or be upset or be happy you, you have to brace them as like those are the emotions that that tell you you're alive you might it might not be fun to be depressed or anxious but you're still alive and you can still you're still here to feel them and they will pass and things do get better and you know that that I think for a lot of people you know um, I know for myself there was times where I felt down but I also Could reminisce and think about the times that were great, and things about the times in the future that will be great again. I think this pandemic sort of put things in a perspective, and hopefully put them in people thought about things and and really look dug deep in their in their in their in their emotions. and And I I know for me, it affected me, but I feel like I don't want to. It's cheesy to say you're a better person because of it, but I feel like I understand things a little bit better. I feel like I you know I value friendships, families. You know, get on the phone with somebody because you're a little bit lonely. I feel like those kind of things—it sort of helped
0: more than it more than it hurt, if if you catch my drift. What's going on with Slaves on Dope? <laughs> I,
1: I don't know, man. Like we actually—it's funny because we're talking. We actually we licensed Horse five years ago, like last week. So the license expired. So we finally get that record back. Mm-hmm. So we can put that we can put that back up on the streaming sites and. You know, the Kings of Quarantine was a f- sort of like because it's because it was Jason and I, it technically wasn't slaves, but it was as close as you're gonna get to hearing the two of us together. Um, and I don't think any of the drummers or bass players, my drummer or bass player would be upset, took their spot. But um yeah, we've we've talked about it. We had like what people don't I, like I love to talk to you because I always tell tell you stuff that nobody hears, but when we wrote horse, I wrote like like 30 some songs for it so there's a bunch of songs that nobody's heard that we've demoed that you know if i had to if you put a gun to my head and said i needed a a slave's record in the next month i could knock one out with these tunes that are awesome that are sort of sitting here waiting you know like and i never thought i would write like that like consistently and and then i would revisit and still like stuff i always felt like You know, if I write something and it's old, I won't use it because it's old. But there's some pretty cool tunes there. Um, I definitely probably want to write a handful more rounded out with something newer. But there's some really cool stuff that's sitting there. Um, And I'm proud of that last record we wrote. It it was almost, I don't want to say it was the exact record that I always wanted to write, but fairly close. And, uh, you know, you know me, I'm a huge Faith No More fan. So I'm all about, it's got to be eclectic. I don't want one sound throughout the record, one feel, one energy. Like as much as Back in Black is one of my favorite records, like, that's not me. Like I'm, I need like diversity. I need grooves. I need up-tempo stuff, down-tempo stuff, weird instruments. I need different stuff. Like I need it to feel like a roller coaster ride the record. And I feel that we accomplished that on our last record. And I, I think, you know, when we finally get around to doing another one, which I don't know, maybe once his Kings, a quarantine thing, we do the last one or two, I think Jason's going to probably be a little bit bored and, decide he wants to come to my studio which is like two blocks from his house because he lives just down the street from me and work on some songs my drummer just had a baby too he's pretty he's knee deep in diapers too but um the most part it's mo it's majority of it's jason and i anyways so and i would just dig through some tracks write a handful more and see where see see once we get a dozen tunes what where we're at which you know i wouldn't be far-fetched to say we might want to do something if not this year maybe next year have something for next year because why not like we haven't really done anything you know we did the songs with DMC uh, the song with DMC and Chuck D that coming like a rhino was like pretty much the last slaves things we we did maybe we'll do two EPs maybe we'll do a full record i don't know maybe we'll just do a couple of singles i don't know but i know we're going to want to play again that's the one thing Jason and i both said is getting on stage you know if Uh, if if the opportunity arises would be first and foremost thing we want to we've always been a live band we've always enjoyed playing you know you get together with the boys go through the set a couple of times do a show get the adrenaline going you know it's fun you know it's it's a good time but you might hear something yeah you never know man like i'm just being honest we don't really have any plans but i I wouldn't be surprised just based on the fact that we've done all this stuff and we're getting like i said we just got horseback i'm i'm Trying to get in touch with, um, trying to get our other record metaphor back because we'd like to kind of have all our records, you know, back under our own umbrella. We can use them and do with them. Uh, With with what we want, which is sort of every artist's dream, so we're working on that, and then eventually, yeah, we'll probably pop something else out. I wouldn't, I would definitely say sooner than later. It's been, it'll be five years in November, so since Horse came out, that's long enough, I think.
0: We're not Tool, you know. (laughs) When you and I first started chatting about doing this interview, watching the Kings of Quarantine stuff that you and Jason and everybody else was putting out, wow, this seems a lot like a dress rehearsal for a new Slaves on Dope album, potentially having like guest people on it. And I know what you guys were doing. Obviously you were doing it for the right reasons and, and you guys are literally the nicest people on the planet for doing it for roadies or anybody else that's, you know, behind the scenes on a tour or on an album or what have you, and you and everybody else that was involved doing this out of the kindness of your hearts. But you know, for me I was like, I wonder what's gonna happen next. So I couldn't help but ask you and I think it's funny too, because this five years ago, this is when I met you guys and we're in New York and um eventually these borders are going to open back up and why do i not why would i not be surprised to see you and jason literally run across the border as quick as possible to do a show somewhere
1: yeah yeah i'm telling you man i'm itching to do something like it's yeah i i, I wouldn't be surprised we we have a, we have a we have a good we have a good agent and he's always looking for stuff for us but for us you know with with my studio and jason you know jason's the uh the night guy on show, which is the big rock station in Montreal. You know, we, we both, we, we do it. We do music because we love it, but it's not our main thing anymore, but we still do it and we want to do it. And we're, we're serious about it. And we're, we're, we're invested in it very heavily invested in it. It's just, it's got to fit sort of our schedule. And um, it's not easy, you know, like it's not, life is not easy. I'm not 20 years old anymore. You know, I, I don't live at my parents' house, so I can't, you know, So we make music when we have time. And I think I think this we always talk about music like he called me today to play me a song, you know, and, you know, we send we send music back and forth all the time. And the thing is, is like, we're always we've we're I've known Jason. He's one of my oldest friends. You know, I've known him since 1992. So it's almost 30 years I've known him. And. We've written records together, we've toured together, we've pretty much done everything together our whole lives. And like I said, he lives two blocks from me now. So yeah, I think there will be though there, there will always be slaves music, because we will always write music in some capacity. And I think this sort of doing the Kings of Quarantine thing sort of re-legitimized the fact that we love doing it after taking a break for a while and sort of, you know, doing, you know, just living life. Um, I think, I think sooner than later, in the sense of, you know. Maybe not this year, but I think I definitely can can maybe sit down with them and say, Hey, maybe we should maybe we should revisit some of the stuff or at least go over and see where we're at and talk about doing something because uh with shows opening back up and this and that, it would be cool to do some shows, but it, it it's a it's it would be nice to be able to play some new music as well. I know people would want to hear some some something different rather than you know the stuff we've played for you know, for the last, last, whatever, twenty years, you know, playing the same tunes, it's uh, be nice to throw some
0: new, some new bangers in the set. So, who do you think's going to win the Stanley Cup? <laughs> ah,
1: who do I think, or who I want? Because if you're <laughs> going to ask who I want, it's got to be the Habs. But who do I think? Look, it's the, man, you. I've been a hockey. I grew up playing hockey. I still play hockey, um, and uh, I like to say that that I know a thing or two about a thing or two. But it's a once you're on the ice it's it's anybody's game i don't care right. what anybody says um one of my one of my one of the artists i produce names anakin slade he's a killer hip-hop guy here in the city and um you know we had this conversation where it's like if you if you look at the end of the re- it was a condensed season but if you look at the end of the regular season this year one of the best teams in the last half or the last quarter of the season was the ottawa senators they were the they had the best record, right and that goes to show you, like, it doesn't matter. If they would have gotten a couple more points than Montreal, they would have been in the playoffs. And they're dangerous, man. They're fast. And, man, get, put two teams on the ice, flip a point. That I don't care what any analyst said. They all picked the Habs to lose against Toronto. They all picked the Habs to lose against Winnipeg. They're going to pick the Habs to lose against Vegas, 100%. It won't even be close. It won't even be a 50-50. They're all going to say that all the ESPN, TSN guys are going to say they're going to lose. But put them on the ice and let the game play, man. I, I'd love Montreal to win. Tampa is very, very strong. I don't think that New York is going to beat Tampa. I don't honestly don't think Montreal can beat Vegas. My instinct is th- that it'll probably be Tampa. Well, I think it's going to be Tampa and Vegas now, but I'd love to see Montreal in a final. I saw the cup parade in 93. I was working downtown and it Went by as I was working during the day, which was neat. That was the last time I saw the Cup in the city, so it's been a long time. But it would have been great to see a Montreal Boston final. I would have lost my shit seeing that.
0: I wouldn't even have went to a bar. I mean, it would just been crazy. Like <laughs> You know, it's uh, uh, yeah. Everybody was very disappointed, you know, seeing the, the Bruins lose, and and I think people were kind of a little surprised about it. Also, too, you know, what like you said, it really doesn't matter until you get on the ice because everybody was surprised that Vegas's first year. They're going after the cup. People never saw. Yep. Up. Granted, when they bring everybody out on the ice, it's literally like a, it's a Vegas show. Yeah, okay, because it's Vegas, we get that. <laughs> but when you watch these guys play, Vegas is a really good team. It's weird yeah, and they got and they got the, the
1: scrap and they got the scraps from every other NHL team. team. All yes, the players uh, yeah. that everybody yeah. didn't want they got so they took a bunch of dare it's basically the mighty ducks in real life you know <laughs> Like <laughs> that movie was so bad no but you know it was it was the miracle on ice again because the miracle on ice was a bunch of like they were they were they were semi-pro amateur players right they weren't pro players so and they won they won the gold medal but same thing man like uh, who, who wouldn't want first of all was a great player but i mean some of those guys vegas had that they got like you, you, I was a little shocked at some, like Flurry. I was surprised he went. Uh, he's obviously a star, and there was a couple of stars for salary dump purposes. But right. at the same time, it was a derelict team, and they went to the Cup final, and they proved that, man. Once you're on that ice, dude, it's the pure grit and determination, and that's why hockey's the best sport. I don't care what anybody says: Football, baseball, basketball, rugby, soccer, picket, cricket. I don't give a fuck. Hockey's the best sport. Because it's a game of it's a game of inches, man. And it's so fast and it's so hard hitting and hard. It's hard to play. You know, it's the only sport, really technically team sport, where you're you're, you know, you're on skates. You're not even running. All the other sports you run, everybody can run. If you can run fast, you'll be great in football. You can run fast, you can be a great soccer player. You can run fast, well, maybe not baseball, but you can run fast, you'll be pretty good in baseball. But hockey, no. You need a whole complete new skill set. You gotta skate, you gotta handle this stick you got whack this thing around. Like, man, the amount of skill involved in being a hockey player is insurmountable to any other sport. And that's why it's the greatest.
0: Look, I'm from New England. So for me, you know, it it was just as much a part of my upbringing ingrained into me as anything else. And Montreal is the same way as it is in Boston. People are extremely passionate about their hockey team here. Yeah. I mean, you see a Montreal jersey, you see a Habs jersey in in the garden. Um, You probably wouldn't want to be wearing it. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, no. It's, it's, no. it's like the rivalry is, is a lot like the Red Sox and the Yankees kind of rivalry. Of course. Know, people get extremely passionate about it. But yeah, you know, it's amazing. You're 100% correct. It doesn't matter what people say. Things can No, change. no, no. Things can change yeah. real quick when you get out there on the ice. Some of these players are at the very end of their career and have been beat around for 25 years. And then you have a kid that literally dropped out of college after his freshman year to get drafted into the professional. So it's like, it really is kind of a weird sport where, you know, anything can happen. I would love to see Vegas win it. I mean, they, they were scoffed at team It just from the idea of them saying, okay, we're going to build an arena here in Vegas and we're going to actually have a hockey team. People are going to say, you know, what do you think you are? Arizona? I mean, what's what's going on? <laughs> Flo- or Florida? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. come on. It's like, you know, it's Vegas. Why would you need a professional sports team? Well, now look, the Raiders are there and yeah. there's been rumors that, you know, the A's are going to come to Vegas. So it's like all these people are coming in Vegas. And a lot of it had to do with the success of the first season of the Knights. Yes. Oh, this isn't a joke. And every single season ticket holder seat was sold out before the first puck
1: drop. Before the puck drop. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. clearly people were ready for it. And it's kind of interesting. I I would like to see him win it, you know. And they aren't my favorite team. So, you know, I'd like to see them just win it for the sake of winning it a hundred percent
1: dude they're like they're, and they're a good team you know i'm not a not a big patch ready fan anymore but i never really was right but um you know what like if, yeah I don't, I don't i don't need to see tampa win it you know if the isles won it i like i like i like uh barry trot so like to see the islanders win we be pretty neat you know and barzal's a hell of a hockey player you know but look the Habs are final four right so whoever they play i'm gonna be gunning for them and again it's a horse race dude once they're on the ice i think my thing is if montreal can can beat vegas they can win the cup that's the way i see it and so i'm going to sort of gauge it for this round but i i'll be pretty it'll be pretty interesting to see the puck drop for the first game to see if because you know none of these teams have seen each other right all right. the games that we've seen so far like boston you know you guys had played you guys had played the uh the islanders throughout the year Mm -hmm. um and you know montreal we went through toronto and we went through winnipeg we had played them all year so the semifinals is really the first time you're going to see a team you haven't played yet and all the teams play very different hockey lightning play very different than 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 the islanders and montreal plays very different than vegas so it's two it's very different styles of hockey and it's whoever's going to beat the other one into submission to play their style is going to be the team that wins because they can't Montreal can't run and gun like like Vegas and Islanders play very much like Montreal very slow trappy sort of defense first and and lightning are not like that lightning are way more open in speed game and fast puck movement and 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 Islanders aren't really like that they sort of pick you apart uh, like Montreal does so it'll be interesting to see if Montreal plays the Islanders in the final it'll be like watching like looking at a mirror
0: it's going to be super weird man i really appreciate you taking the time thanks bud you probably don't get a lot of sleep so i appreciate <laughs> you staying up we can do it again sometime soon i'd love to that'd be awesome dude the liquid conversations podcast is brought to you by dirtbag clothing wear it till it stinks.